Hello and welcome to... Oh no, I've done it again. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of The Crate and Crowbar. It's Is the it, 19th of June. Was was that an apology for starting another podcast? No, it was because I screwed up the intro last week as well. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Chris Thurston and tonight, as you've just heard, I'm joined by Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Hello. And also Tom Francis. Hello. Hi. Hiya. Didn't really want to do any news. Don't so want we're to. not going to. Um... <laughs> Partly because just gone E3, everyone go sleep. No more news until the the news bus comes. Which is bad news from here on in. All the it's things that you news, thought yeah. were all right were bad. <laughs> <laughs> one by one, they fall. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. And having not been at E3 or with the capacity to comment on horses that are in particular races at the moment, <laughs> it's probably time to wait until those games come out. Um, but what we can do is talk about the games. What we have done, been playing. We could do dumb we could. players dumb bin playing. <laughs> we, c- we can do. Do you want to start this entire podcast again? <laughs> Segwayed into it I so smoothly. I think this has gone better than most. I, yeah. <laughs> and when I said that, I mean from the beginning. I mean from episode one. <laughs> <laughs> we did dig Marsh up. <laughs> I deserve infinite dragons. Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm going to be talking about a game that was last talked about by Marsh, I think, on this podcast. Oh, wow. That sounds like a segue and a good enough reason <laughs> to talk about that. What Tom. is that game, Tom? Uh, it's called Life is Strange. Mm. season one mm. not the new one <laughs> actually the new one is life is strange 2 right it's not yeah. season 2 it's just no it's just it's a different story yeah um i can't entirely remember why i went back to this now just the weekend i was trying to play something like that is not in my current rotation was it on a hard drive was it one of those sort of like oh i did downloaded that a while ago and <laughs> uh i think it maybe was already downloaded i'd started it a year ago and i got as far as um so this is the adventure game where you can rewind time uh that was released in episodic format um and i got i got my rewind power and then i had the puzzle i got stuck on for a long time was the school bully sat on some steps in front of the dorm and i needed to get past her Mm. and you can't just like walk past her and asking her to leave doesn't work and uh the actual solution is insane i won't spoil it but it, it's it very it's a, a paint very, can i remember now yeah it's a very imp- adventure game it's- yeah it makes no fucking sense and i uh i remember being stuck on that and then when i loaded up again i was just past that puzzle so i guess i actually solved that puzzle and then was just still like just, oh fuck this game <laughs> and it to be honest that never really stops that's it's rare but it's there are a fair few puzzles in it i just thought what the fuck that is such an obscure bizarre solution but as with all adventure games just look at a walkthrough if you're stuck for more than three minutes because there's no for me at least there is no joy in in eventually figuring it out if the answer doesn't make any fucking sense which it usually doesn't there were actually a couple in here where i gave up where i was just being stupid i just when i looked at the solution i was like oh yeah that does make sense but your your rewind power is it's kind of an interesting mix because it's a very narrative focused game it's 90 percent just story and uh, the story is the interesting part of it uh but the the sort of unique thing that your character has, this rewind thing, is sort of a mechanics-y thing. Mm. And they, you have to use the rules of it uh, in inventive ways sometimes to solve puzzles. And one of the rules, one of the sort of quirks of it is that when you rewind, uh, everything else goes back, you don't go back, and that means you stay where you are. So there's puzzles where you sort of like, you get through a barrier, but at some terrible cost, and then you just rewind, and then the cost is unwound, but you stay past the barrier. Um, and I just kept forgetting that there were like three different times. I was like, this is impossible. I don't see any way to do this. And the solution is just 
get past it, then rewind. In the words of Cher, if you could turn back time, you would find a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By standing still. It's, it's kind of maybe place. a crime that that song doesn't play over the credits of Life is Strange at the Ooh. very end. It's like, it feels like if this was a film, that would happen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> As a, a CG, uh, I can't remember her name. Cher. Cher. Yeah. CG Cher. CG Cher. Um, it's... Uh, it's really good. That's the thing I should say about it. Like, despite those few puzzles and a few other problems I have with it, um, it's things that are good about it is it's really well directed. Like mm. the shots that it. Have you guys played it, by the way? Yep, I played all the first season. I think I played a little bit further than the bully bit, and I only stopped because it was it was on the PlayStation on in the same room, and it's just not a very good mm. place in our household to sort of settle back and listen to people talking. Which is weird for a TV that I should be watching. It's a suboptimal place to consume televised drama. <laughs> yeah, don't watch that on TV. It does feel like a TV series, not just because mm. it's episodic, because I didn't even, you know, wasn't even playing it that way. But um, I, I got from this kind of what I got from watching like Buffy and mm. uh, more than from en- more than what I get from any other game. Um, and it's uh, quite soapy and it's a high school drama kind of. Um, or I guess you're in college, aren't you? No, you're um, in high school. Okay. Uh, college. You have a scholarship. It's like it's school for the arts and you're studying I'm photography. I'm pretty sure it's high school. They're all kind of like, I don't know. Late how that teens. Works, They're anyway. drinking and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, but you can't drink in America until you're 21. Mm. <laughs> so that I'm, part's illegal I'm no matter so what. I'm so sure it's high school. I, I, I have no strong opinion on this, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's, so the direction is really great. The soundtrack is fantastic. Um, and not just because it has a bunch of songs I already really like. Um, but it just the, kind of the moods that it goes through are just very different to most games. Mm. It just has a lot of like really chilled moments and just kind of, or just sort of wistful sentimental moments. And I had a very unusual situation, uh, experience for me, which is like being able to like bask in a moment that lasts for a while, which is, not that rare in games. There are loads of narrative games that, that do that, but almost all of them piss me off and I'm sitting there going, fucking get on with it. How do, what do I do to make the scene progress? Come on. I've been waiting here for like 30 seconds. When is it going to happen? And with this, I was actually sitting back in my chair and like soaking it in and enjoying it. And I think that's a result of, of good directing and good soundtrack and good just pacing, just knowing when it is time to relax. Like when the mm. drama is kind of over and just, I mean, the end of every episode is, has some kind of musical montage and then credits roll and it just feels like a really nice moment and you kind of know um, what is expected of you. The, the games that piss me off when they do this, it's unclear whether I need to do something to progress or whether I am supposed to be just sitting there and enjoying it. Um, and this game actually pulled it off. And then the story goes through, just goes to some places that, you know, evoke some emotions that I'm not used to from games at all. Um, even from Gone Home, it's just got a sort of broader palette than something like Gone Home, which is very focused on this one particular mm. story because it gets to a lot of different places. Um, the thing that, that had two problems with it. One is I was going through, uh, you spend a lot of time in people's bedrooms. <laughs> Just you're talking to them. They're in the bedroom and there's, you can look at everything and you can both look at it and like sometimes read it or examine it or something. And this is like their computer, which is on. <laughs> so you can just log <laughs> into that, read their emails. There's, uh, like a crumpled piece of paper on the floor. You pick it up. Um, crumple it to read what they have tried to throw away right in front of them 
And there was all, it's all these, all these opportunities to do that. And because the person was right there and I cared about the story and I cared about the relationships, I didn't do it because it was just like in Seems beyond rude. invasion of privacy. <laughs> yeah. Just like, even if, if they were not there, it would be an invasion of, invasion of privacy issue. They're there. So it would be like catastrophic to our friendship. Um, but it's fine because you can rewind time. Yeah. So I did, I did think about that, but, um, the problem is they don't react. <laughs> they never do notice. And so I can still rewind time, but because they didn't notice, there's no reason to do it. And so it just becomes this weird. Anyway, I just, I didn't do it. And then I, I will avoid any specific spoilers, but at some point in the game, a very bad thing happens and it is, turns out to be preventable. Um, but only if you have snooped around and read someone's very personal details while they are there. Uh, and that is seen as like, Oh, you're a good friend because you know about them. But like, I was not reading that stuff because I didn't want to be an absolute asshole to this yeah. person who's going through a really tough time. And so I didn't know that information and the really bad thing happened. And then you, a lot of the big kind of can go one way or the other things in this game are rather than being a choice of like, which thing, which person do you care about most or how do you want the story to unfold? They're just, did you do the good thing or did you fail? <laughs> like mm-hmm. there are so many that are just like, there was a, a good way for this to go and you fucked it up. And it tells you at the end, oh, you fucked it up. And like 60% of your friends got this right. <laughs> and so it really, uh, obviously that kind of like stat type thing. Um, I don't know if it's there to encourage you to replay, but it's certainly when it's a massively bad thing and you find out you could have prevented it, of course you just go back and you redo it. Um, and so I did. And, you know, I snooped through this person's room and I read all the private details and then, um, was able to make the bad thing not happen. And that kind of sucked. And then there's also a, I thought I was going to really love the ending of the game and I didn't because they give you a choice right at the end. And I mm. thought it was one of the things I liked about where it was going is I thought it was leading towards something inevitable. And then at the end, it's just like, do you want that thing to happen or no? <laughs> and it's a, so it's not like so you've the, played the results all five of, episodes of the first. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's not the results of various things you've done over the course of the other it episodes. It can be informed by them. Yeah. Right. He said non-committally. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's, there is a, you know, I think a lot of games feel pressure. I, I, that's such a, a tough thing to navigate because if you are designing a game with lots of little decisions on the way and then all those little decisions lead to an inevitable end, then I think that might be tremendously unsatisfying for a lot of people yeah. who demand a say in, in what happens at the, the very, very end. Um, but at the same time, it can feel sort of arbitrary to, you know, to walk into the Deus Ex ending room and be told like, which of these three cutscene buttons are you going to push? Yeah. With this, it's, it was, it's kind of a case of like, uh, you can have this thing, but at what cost? And the cost is insane. <laughs> like, it's just unconscionable. And so I, and that's why I thought it was going to be inevitable because it just can't possibly pay that cost. Um, and so when the choice came up, I chose the thing I thought that they should have made inevitable. And then, but it lost all narrative weight because A, you know, it was a choice and B, I know I'm just going to rewind and try the other one. Cause now I'm curious. So like, Oh, do you end up not paying that cost or something? And, mm-hmm. and so it just it, all became, had no narrative weight. Basically. The time when the game came out, I remember like, this is a pretty, uh, and it must be difficult to know what we're talking about if you haven't played it, but like there was a pretty, you know, I think fierce debate about which of those choices is the correct one. Because I, I, I know what side I was on and it was like, I think I ended up on the opposite side to Pip. And it's kind of interesting, like what people felt was the inevitably right thing. Oh, that's cool. So there was, was, a, was there, slightly it does different. support different. Like, yeah. you know, so, um, and there's a, uh, you know, that game attracted a really, you know, very, very sort of, you know, vibrant fandom and people were, were split down, which, which is the right 
ending and, and which is the most appropriate to where things have been going. And I can happily argue about that, <laughs> but like it's, it's, um, I think that's to its credit somewhat mm. that it gets to that point where I think you are right that giving you that choice at the end can undermine, you know, cause it asks you to reconfirm where did you, where, where did you think this was going? Oh, you thought it was going this yeah. way. Um, but I, I think it's uh, not quite that one sided, if that makes sense. I think there is that you can, you can make the case for both. I suspect. Yeah. It was interesting. For me, because I would, I don't think I would have predicted that giving you the choice would, would kill it for me, but it did. Like, you know, in the abstract, the idea of having the choice sounds good. And then in practice, it was all of the things I liked about where I was going were gone because it wasn't inevitable. Mm. Yeah. Good game though. How did you find the dialogue? Because one of the things <laughs> I know that it's been criticized before, and I'm sure Marsh has, has probably said, said it when, when he was yep. talking about the game way back. <laughs> I definitely found the dialogue quite uh, difficult to deal with. That, in places. to me, it felt like that got cleared up. It was sort of a much more pronounced than the first episode. Right. Like Chloe, uh, it's the Hella thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is, that turns out to be kind of Chloe's catchphrase and no one else uses it. Um, and she uses it multiple times in weird contexts in the first episode. And from then on, she does use it again, but it's in less weird contexts and it's also lampshaded. She'll, they'll comment on it and like, you know, at some point Max uses it and she's like, whoa, you're turning into me kind of thing. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I actually quite liked it. At least it has, it, has, it has its own voice. Like, I don't know. Um, I sort of, I found it, it, I think it's the same as the reason it, the reason it can pull off having those quiet moments as well is because you sort of very much part of a very specifically drawn little world and, and the characters, while not necessarily you know, a lot of them sort of maybe are pulled from archetypes of various sorts, but that sort of soap opera thing of having this little sort of, um, sort of quilt of, of little, you know, sort of places and scenes and people that's, it's, or maybe even novelistic, it's, it's far more kind of, you know, um, not broad in an open world sense, but it's not asking you to hang an entire game off one spectacularly written scene or something. Mm. It's your sense of this very specific place and this whole, um, the, that sells it. So the fact that the writing is a little weird at times didn't really bother me at all. Mm. But maybe that's me. Yeah. I remember being bothered by it in the first episode and then it just faded out and just, I think it A got better. And also I just, you, you just start to, uh, get used to the language and just, it's, it's patterns and yeah, yeah here past yeah, it. Synchronicities. Yeah. Yeah. It's good though. I'm glad you finally got around to playing. I haven't some played this. I'm not going to try it. It has a, um, uh, a murder board in it. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, not, not relating to a murder, but, um, just, uh, a shitload of evidence to go through on a big cork board that you have to figure out. And I'm, uh, obsessed with those at the moment <laughs> um, <laughs> as a, as a game tool to like explain plot. And this one is very good. It's actually, it's very different to the, uh, Phantom Doctrine one that I really liked. Um, in that you don't, it's not about drawing red strings between things, but it's, it's a surprisingly involved thing where you have like three pools of evidence and in each pool of evidence, you have to first pick which things are relevant. And then once you've done that, those relevant things get sort of ripped up and put on a separate board where all the individual components are now selectable things. Then you say, which of those relate to this thing? And after you've done, once you've got like the relevant parts of all three pools of evidence, you're looking for like what things in this pool of evidence relate to the things in the other pool of evidence and then cross-referencing them. And then you, it all neatly filters down to like the third tier, cross-referencing those three things hmm. together. You get this, just this one piece of information that is the next lead you need. It's a good mystery as well. It's worth yeah. saying. It's got, you know, several different levels as well. And it's, it's a good end of episode cliffhangers. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah, and a good sort of. Oh, I remember something else about it. Um, uh, so I'm being as vague as I can about spoilers. Uh, for to reference this, I would have to say that a certain character loses someone important to them, and that's all I'll say. But I have to say mm-hmm. which character it is. Um, so if you don't want to hear that, skip ahead a bit. Um, so Chloe loses someone important to uh, them, and Chloe is played by Ashley Birch. Mm. And I read a blog post by Ashley years ago. Uh, that was really moving about what she was going through at the time that she recorded that scene uh, where Chloe discovers she's lost somebody. And Ashley had lost her partner, like, I think a year or so before or two years before, um, and was in a sort of state where she was not really openly grieving about it. She was kind of acting very cheerful and chirpy and sort of keeping it locked away. And then she was asked to play a character who's going through a, a huge loss. And it all just kind of came out of her and she was it sort of unlocked her ability to grieve to, mm. um, oh. properly for her own loss and, and including like after that point. And, um, so I gave her this really close relationship with Chloe and boy, listening to that scene, knowing that is brutal. <laughs> like it's, re- it's really well acted anyway. And I think it would be, it would be great even if it was only fiction, but I happened to have read that post in advance. Um, and so I knew you know, what she was feeling when she delivered those lines and yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. That's a really great performance. Actually, that, uh, If you haven't read that blog post, it's well worth reading. It's just on, a, if you just search for Ashley Birch blog, it's the most recent post on her blog. Mm. Yeah, man. What have you been playing, Alex? Well, it's funny, Tom, to talk about a time uh, rewinding mechanic because I've been playing a game about time as well. <laughs> uh, it's called um, Tohu Lunar Nights. Have you come across it? Rings a bell, don't know why. It is a Metroidvania, like a anime kind of like pixel and um, Metroidvania game uh, where the central mechanic is that you can pause time um, and kind of do lots of fast-paced fighting um, with it. Um, Tohu, like... I was interested in it because it comes from a group in Japan called, uh, Lady, uh Team Ladybug, um, who, uh, and, and the Tohu ref- references a very long running kind of ecosystem almost of, uh, indie games, um, made mm. by, with one person in the center of it called Zun, Z-U-N. Um, Is that a character or the creator? The, he's a creator, like a developer. Um, he's been making, almost exclusively very hardcore bullet hell shooters um, under this Tohu name for years and years and years and years and years. Mm. And around this has developed like this sort of ecosystem of anime and manga and stuff and more games and riffs on these games and this kind of thing. Um, he established a studio called the studio team ladybug, um, uh, which is kind of more of a collective, I think. I don't really know that as much as I'd like to about them. I really want to look into them a bit more, but, um, uh, I think it's more of a collective. Um, and Tohu Lunar Nights is the most recent one. Um, but it's not a bullet hell shoot 'em up. It is, uh, a Metroidvania game. Um, but it's filled with really cool ideas from shoot 'em ups and it's just a really, fascinating game in and of itself um i should say when i started it up like so this is game came out i think it was sort of early access it was in early access i think and um has has now come out properly in the last few weeks but it's been available to buy and play on steam for six months or a bit more um and uh and i started playing it back then and it had a 
bug with, and I assumed it was something to do with the fact that I've got G-Sync screen. And it meant that I didn't realise that he was playing double the speed. <laughs> <'cause> he, was, <laughs> he was going at like, a, I don't know, 120 But you paused time, so... Yeah, well, this is it. There are two ways that you can manipulate time. You can pause time, but you can also slow down time for mm. a very brief time. An incredibly brief amount of time when the game is running twice as fast as it should be. I just literally thought that was that was just the game. Like it was incredibly fast and incredibly. And I thought it came from this kind of heritage of of very hardcore sort of you know skill based games. And I thought, well, that fits. It's unplayable for somebody <laughs> with my synapses. Um, and I but I did get to the first boss and just couldn't beat the, beat the first boss. And then I just happened to out-tab out and out-tab back in again. And, oh, everything's <laughs> really slow and yet very playable. <laughs> so did you think that was a bug, that it was slow? It was, uh, well, initially I thought, oh, this is weird. And I thought, oh, this feels really good. Oh, <laughs> I think I think there's been a problem. Um, uh, yeah, like, uh, sort of, then it became much more playable. Um, but it has loads of, um, loads of ideas from, so, so it's a very, like, you play, um, there's, there's a whole storyline in these, Tohu shooter games where it's like you're playing maids flying through the air, like shooting lasers at stuff. Like, I've, I don't know. Like, and you are a maid in this and like, she's amazingly animated, like, like bouncy animation, but in the spare way and kind of like dress bounces up and down, not in a gross way for once, you know, but this is like in just a good way. Like it's very, everything's really kinetic and feels really good like the movement is just beautifully calibrated is this like pixel art uh pixel yeah pixel art pixel art and um uh it has a totally nonsensical story actually i i grabbed a bit out of it um this is from the steam page uh the story uh this is in quotes now let's begin my world uh, and then outside of quotes the vampire from the scarlet devil mansion ramilla scarlet suddenly sends her maid so you, uh, uh, Sakuya Izoya and Izayoi to a parallel universe similar to Gensokyo. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, that's as much as I know about Any the plot. <laughs> the dialogue in the, in the, in the game is kind of translated sort of like it uses lots of words, but none of them really seem to make much <laughs> sense. And like it's all the, it's just nonsensical, but it doesn't matter because you're just going through these, um, Connected chamber is it's a much of and you're kind of exploring this sort of complex um and uh and learning the mechanics and so the so from bullet game bullet hell games there are various little sort of little flourishes so you can graze bullets and enemies mm. which means to go close to stuff off in lots of shooters that those by grazing uh enemies and bullets you will get sort of power up yeah. Uh, bars to fill up or special weapon bars to mm. fill up or ammo bars to fill up. In this one, it can recharge. If you're in normal time, it can recharge your time bar. And when you've got the game stopped, it can recharge your mana bar and mm. your mana bar is used to shoot all your weapons. So mana bar is really important. <laughs> so, so you've got these two really nice tense little sort of relationship between slowing down time and being safer and also recouping, um, your bullets. And also, uh, are your bullets and knives? So you're shooting <laughs> knives at people. Um, uh, uh, but then in real time, you're kind of recouping your time. So it's like, it's a nicely balanced system, which actually, you, it sounds quite involved, but you don't really think about it too much, which is very good as well. To graze an enemy, does that just mean 
like being near them go for a close. while. Yeah, go close without getting without hitting them. So it's right. risk like inbuilt risk reward sort of system. Um, if also if you when you shoot when you shoot your fire out your knives they'll kind of stick into walls and if you go over to the wall <laughs> you'll collect them and your mana bar will fill up which is a really huh. nice little physicalized little thing. Hmm. Do you, does that mean you have an incentive not to kill an enemy? Like is it worth keeping one alive and staying close to it to get that graze thing? There's a limit to which how much they'll give you. So right. after a point they'll just you're, you've you've sucked. <laughs> I've grazed stuff, you dry. <laughs> you've grazed the shit out of them. This yeah. is how uh, sheep actually do work <laughs> in extremely slow motion. We're getting so much. Money. <laughs> from this graze mechanic You're so close to this grass it's amazing yeah, but they, they have the, the, the slow down time thing on all of the time so yeah they you know the earth is the projectile passing them extremely slowly or is it us through a slow <laughs> but then there are loads of really playful sort of puzzly aspects to it so there are areas of the game which are cause time paralysis which means you can't stop time anymore and, how that feels. and they'll often like the be tied to kind of switches on the floor with a with a which open a door but are on a timer and you would normally have to uh stop time in order to get there in before yeah. it closes um which means you've got to take certain paths through using sort of slides along the ground and jumping and that kind of thing which are just fun to to pull off and with their enemies around as well that's really good when it starts introducing enemies which which shoot sort of time paralysis stuff at you that's kind of you know adds more wrinkles to it because once you're time paralyzed you have a little countdown before you can use time again but then your time counter is at zero and it will take a while to count back up to you know you know the number of time units that you get you know to you know sort of so time has a cooldown damn (laughs) makes you think um and then you get to sections where there are platforms which don't obey uh time slowdown or stop time stopping Mm. um platforms which are frozen when time is normal and then move when time is frozen so lots of sort of new wrinkles to how you solve getting through an area where some platforms will move when time is stopped and others only move right. when time is flowing so and changing the, yeah, the rhythm with, of platform exactly and, yeah. you've got like sort of moving blades which it's you know spinning blades and that kind oh of man thing. we talked about this last week it's still uh maybe this undoes my moratorium that i demanded last week on time puzzles where you <laughs> have the time power and then you have spinning <laughs> blades to step through this yeah. one the i do yeah and no, i totally know what you mean this one it, it because it's because it's a moment it's because you're also thinking about enemies and you're also thinking about the fact you want to go to that room and none of them are own like particularly difficult mm. but because you're managing your health as you because yeah. it's a metrovania and there are limited opportunities to to uh, recoup your health so you've so you're minimizing damage and but every challenge is minor and small within itself um which which i think alleviates a lot of the, the time weariness mm. you've you, you tend to get um there are so many little flourishes like uh the rooms where you can recoup your health um is a a, a, a a vending machine and you get a can out of it and and if you're standing there you'll hear the, you'll hear yourself just throwing the can on the floor and you'll hear it clank clank clank, clank. <laughs> there will be a bin somewhere in the room <laughs> if you can get the uh the can into the bin 
by getting there quick enough and then standing just right. But there's like, so, so your character is going to throw it away like after X seconds. Yeah, like thing. in his very short time. So like it's basically like, <laughs> clink, 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 clink. It's very quick. Like with probably it's like three quarters of a second after you go past the thing. So like you just spend ages kind of going, right, I'm going to get into the bin. Oh no. I fell, I fell. And you get like 10 gold point coins for that, which is fuck all, but it's worth, it's just it's so worth doing. And I'm sure. Pays to recycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's little, little things like that. I think you should be fine 10 for not putting it in the bin. But then it's the way that the bosses use a lot of the stuff that you've been encountering in the levels themselves. So they'll have a, a mega attack, which takes off loads of your health. But if you stop time now, you can move through their attacks uh, in certain patterns. And, you know, the thing, the, sh- the, the shooter heritage comes through in there. Are, you don't have hundreds of bullets on screen any at all as far as mm. i've seen so far um which is i don't know i'm probably about it's more like bullet heck bullet heck um <laughs> but uh there are lots of it's important to be able to dodge stuff and the time system is is a way of, of dodging all that stuff that's coming at you that, mm. that particularly bosses throw at you are you floating uh no i no you're you're it's a okay, it's platformer, gravity. platformer right. gravity gravity but the you do get hellish. but i just have unlocked uh, the ability to be able to throw a blade and when they're frozen in time i can now bat- jump off them to create plants oh nice cool. that's cool yeah and it's you know it's so breezy and the music is sort of exciting and kind of sort of sort of poppy and sort of fizzing with energy and um just the sense of movement and mm. the the just sheer kineticness of it all is just really fun. I really really like it. I think um, it is a very fun game, and like the Metroidvania aspect to it, just gives it a you know. I think a lot of of skill based games like this can feel a bit weightless when you're not deciding where to go. Often they're kind of you know linear. Yeah, this one you're sort of exploring this mental complex. Um, and it looks really pretty. Um, I was just going to say also that um I because the new Castle not Castlevania game Bloodstained game mm. came out yesterday in our time mm. um Wednesday so that's Igarashi's new game that was kickstarted yeah which is spiritual follow up like Castlevania follow up um and I had a quick go on it this morning I went got to the first boss um and like is it, it just playing two Castlevania sort of games in what on the trot was interesting like this is a uh visit right back to the the the, the castlevanias which i love best which were for me were the D- the ds and the oh game yeah Boy i like Advance them as well games like um, a harmony of dissonance and and yeah uh, uh, yeah uh, pop song uh, of aria of sadness. sorrow aria of sorrow that's is, yeah, that, is that's, that right the aria of sorrow yeah definitely definitely oh, hang on no, it must begin with a d it wasn't it there's a dissonance one, but There's, that's I'm sure, Aria of Sorrow, I think. Was it Aria of Sorrow? Because I'm sure Aria that the DS dissonance. games, ac- the acronyms were DS, because that's true of a lot of them. Oh, shit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe it was Aria of Dissonance then. Hang on. Aria of Sorrow. I think it was something of Sorrow, but I don't know if it was Aria. Anyway, there's no yeah. way to find this out without me rotating to Google it. And who, but it's got, the, it's got the same thing where uh, you defeat enemies and they will drop their souls in this shards. Uh, and then, uh, that will, if you equip those shards, you get an ability which is inherited from that creature. Oh. Cool. And which you can level cool. up over like time for that. Temporarily that or permanently? System. Uh, like an yeah, edgy it's just Kirby. Like a, it's a spell. It's a spell. You've, 
just won a spell. Wow. And then uh, you'll you'll farm them because you'll kind of want to power that up by getting more of the cell. Uh, and it's like, oh, God, the RPG stuff is <laughs> so good. And the oh, God, I'm leveling so up. Yeah. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> well, you kind of know, oh, you want me to you know, farm all these little fucking gribblies and but it's so good but it, it feels very much like it's nailed that old feeling i recommend it for mm, it is i think i will to be so i think far. i will I do love castlevania yeah mm. and it's fucking ridiculous it's so ridiculous they've got that sort of you know the do you remember you know all the kind of um what is a man mm. stuff from um, yeah miserable uh, pile of secrets yeah. uh it's got the that kind of operatic sort of yeah. uh sort of stuff in it with it seems that the the main uh conflict is between two magic-y style users who weren't murdered in a thing to defeat living wizards we call them (laughs) (laughs) murdered in a rite that was meant to send all the demons back to hell Mm. but one of you who one of these two wizardy survivors has gone bad and he's the bad and you're the good one and he's saying, Oh, why do you, why do you persist with these humans? And it's like, Oh, God. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> have you, so this is a bit of an aside, but, um, have either of you watched the Netflix Castlevania series? I have. Yeah. Cause it the is Warner, Warren Ellis. Yeah. Stuff, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. It's, it's it, like I, I started watching it cause I wanted something to watch while I ate chips. <laughs> Um, it is definitely pick- an eating chips thing. <laughs> but no, uh, it like, uh, it's, I watched, I think, and I sort of watched it in that way where you watch something that you assume no one else is watching. And since <laughs> watching both seasons, I've realized that actually lots of people have watched this and it's really good. Yeah. So, and, um, it was just amazing because I love Castlevania, but Castlevania has never done anything narratively that has really like actually kind of gripped me so much as I've been amused that this exists. Is yeah. the main character called Alucard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I look like in the show. That's all. Yeah. Like, well, no, that's, that's, this is, this is how this works. Tom, this is what you call your son. It's your name backwards. Your son will be called Mont. <laughs> Mont. <laughs> and then his son will be called Tom again. <laughs> as, as we all know, Tom's son, Alex's son is called Zella. <laughs> Zella. Yeah. And, and my son will unfortunately Sork. be called Sirk. <laughs> um, that's how that works. But it, yeah, like, I think what's, I think what's really interesting about that is that it's managed to make a story out of what is essentially a grab bag of things, themes, which are, uh, weird, uh, worrying about humans, uh, a lot of gothic horror. Family stuff and gothic stuff. Rock, like sort of wailing guitars. Sort of like, well, sort of power, like big prog. Yeah, big prog, yeah. And, but also body like, horror there's a lot of body horror and just every monster yeah every monster there is is yeah. in castlevania yeah uh yeah like the show is actually kind of impressive for like actually finding a way of making that work and yeah. be quite dramatic yeah like um if you if you need selling on it the way i sold a friend on it is the premise in very very broad terms is what if um what if doctor who was angry and also dracula <laughs> 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 like um uh yeah and 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 then what would happen yeah, and you lived oh you, you lived in a clockwork castle and he well. lived in a clockwork a, a, a teleporting teleporting clockwork castle, clockwork castle. Yeah. um which he basically does um but yeah the only caveat i would put on that is it's very violent it's very violent yeah. it is not for the squeamish and it is um pretty brutal like it's not in a like a i think a, a way that would carry too many warnings other than for the violence yeah but it's it's certainly well it's also sort of sort of weirdly truncated the first series sort of sudden just not 
kind well, of things I mean, start to happen, but then it's oh, like then it's over. Four twenty minutes episodes. Yeah. So it's yeah. And the second and the second eight. one does have a story, but there is it's over so fast it does feel a little unsatisfactory. I think it's that thing of actually it was interesting I know we're drifting from games here, but like it was interesting to me to re- return to like one of those like really short, you know, animated series sort of things where it's not quite as sprawling as an anime where you, you end up knowing where they're saving budget and where they're not. Like this is I think yeah. it was 12 episodes of this and they're 20 minutes long and it's 12 expensive looking episodes of a thing. Yeah. But that actually, that, that economy, I actually quite like yeah. in, in an era yeah. where every, you know, if you talk about the rest of Netflix's genre output, like all these massively overstuffed net, uh, Marvel shows where, um, a single scene's worth of narrative will take a full hour. <laughs> like having something that just goes, just yeah. moves, you know, like gets to the next thing. It's pretty good actually. Yeah. 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 And and also because you know there probably isn't a huge amount of mileage in Castlevania beyond a certain level. So like make you know get it in, get in and out, right? <laughs> uh, also very good, um, very good kind of very like dry swearing. Like you wouldn't expect it for something as flamboyant as it is, but yeah. there's a lot of really good. Uh, they they hired a lot of very sort of like tired sounding British actors yeah. to play everyone, which is a really there's a genius decision when everyone is like a beautiful flowing head vampire <laughs> hunting magic man, and it's it's but the way they sound is like oh because well, Belmont <laughs> actually yeah your question about is Alucard in it uh mm. Belmont who's like is it Simon Trevor Bell? Trevor Belmont <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> he sounds very tired and he can say Alucard. Like he basically he voices the oh God, they have to say you're it. called Alucard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, but it's smart enough not to have like hang too much of a lampshade on it. It's just yeah. you know because he thinks everything is bollocks. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Anyway, I don't want to digress into. Yeah, so uh, recommended uh, Tohu Lunanites. What have you been playing, Chris? Um, I have been playing. Uh, Dota Underlords. Oh yeah. Oh. Which came out sort of yesterday. So it's, um, so this is, we are entering the era of, uh, auto chess. Auto Did chess you play, is coming. Pit, pit played auto chess. Pit played auto chess. Play? I played a bit of it, but actually, so, uh, I feel like I should give some context before we dive into all of that stuff. Cause I think it's kind of necessary to explain what the fuck auto chess is. I don't even know. I've, I've so, heard. So, um, auto chess was uh so dota 2 has essentially like an arcade like a play you can make mini games you can use the engine to make mini games and the assets and that kind of thing one of the big smash hits of that platform was auto chess um and that has subsequently um i think it's possibly on the cusp of being quite a big thing like you know every now and this happens every now and then mobas and battle Valve are making one riot making one the, the, and they can make so and the dota Ch- sorry the auto chess people are making one yeah right <laughs> i think there's another version that's on on mobile phones now yeah well. that's right. what they're doing that's the right. auto chess people of uh, making their right. mobile version so, so yeah the league of legends version which is called team fight tactics went live on i think on the the riot test realm uh today um and uh, Dota Underlords, which is their version, which is Valve's version of it, um, is currently available to anyone who has the Battle Pass, which is like the kind of season pass for, for Dota 2 at the moment. And I think it's going into open beta next week. Um, the creators of the, uh, I think it's a Chinese team that made the original mod are, um, their deal with Valve is Valve is allowed to make their own official version, but they're not going to stop the, uh, the Chinese team just going and making the mobile version. Um, so they, the, 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 the mod team can no longer use all the Dota assets they were using, but, you know, Valve making that. So it's, it's a real explosion of interest in a very specific thing. Um, 
what I found, so the first thing I'd say is, um, I was very, very, very confused by it when mm-hmm. I first played it in Dota. And I think that's partly because obviously when you kind of loading it through like a custom games menu, there's not much by way of onboarding. And even in this closed beta version of, of the current thing, there's not much of an onboarding process. Um, it's finally clicked with me and, um, you know, I played a bunch of it between other things today. Uh, and it's, I, I really like it now. I can really see the potential and I'll dig into why. Um, but one thing that's really, really enormously helpful to me was so weirdly, even though the mod used Dota assets, it kind of reinvented everything. It was using the, the characters and the effects and things, but for wholly original characters, maybe with some vague kind of <laughs> like association with what they were. Which is, yeah. I just, I love how perfectly this mirrors Dota. <laughs> like, yes. Just, like, take this parent game, repurpose all the assets and do it. And, and <laughs> yeah. I also love like the fact that Valve and Riot both jumped on this so fast makes perfect sense. Cause these are two companies who've just made a fucking Dota game. They know what Dota, how Dota came about. And they know yeah. when something like, like a phenomenon like this arises, you just jump on it right away. Cause with Dota, it took, you know, certainly took Valve a long time to, to cotton onto it and Blizzard riot or a bit quicker but yeah and i'd say there's actually there's more similarities than just that um and i if i know i need to talk about what, how, what you actually do but like one of the other ones is it's one of those things where initially you'd be like why is it like that <laughs> like if you if you were thinking about why well, i remember thinking this like i remember being an rts fan watching mobas happen and thinking why do you have three lanes <laughs> why are half the troops automated <laughs> why you know like why do i only control one character like all of that stuff felt like these weird almost arbitrary kind of conceits mm. and auto chess is full of that <laughs> and now i am starting to understand why why they are like that rather than that sort of initial bafflement of like you know initially these these sort of new game types i think when you start playing them feel like sort of running like a takeshi's castle course or something like you know you have to jump over the triangle followed by like dive through the hoop but you don't know why that's interesting <laughs> or why that's a design rather than just a series of things you're being asked to do um and um but so to finish the thing i was gonna say so this isn't gonna be helpful to many people but underlords actually takes dota characters and finds placeful they are still those characters in underlords and you there's a lot to know and there's a lot to learn but being so fluent in dota has massively helped me get into this quickly that is not going to be useful to anyone who doesn't play dota and i'm actually kind of staggered by the amount of totally arbitrary information uh <laughs> facing anyone <laughs> who comes into i think any of these games without necessarily having so how many characters would that be roughly like is it sort of they're not all in there yet there's probably like uh, i actually don't know exactly um off the top of my head it feels like about 40 right um, anyway, I should really this, know what you're doing, not to just Yeah, this is a game where you don't play as a single character, right? You're- no, no. So, so essentially, and this is, uh, and actually, because I'm, this is my first steps into this thing, I'm probably going to make some mistakes about what things are new for Underlords as its own thing and what things are just auto chess. But to try and cover off what auto chess is, um, so basically, uh, you have a, you, it is a sort of asymmetrical or, no, sorry, like an asynchronous competitive game. So it is, it is competitive. It's fully competitive. But in this, in this context, there's nine of you and each of you has, um, a grid in front of you and you, uh, and it's basically just a game about making, uh, tactical decisions over time. Basically. Is that uh, nine of you in auto chess as well? I don't know. I don't know. The, no, Underlords is nine. Don't know right. why it's nine. It's nine. Um, and you, um, the goal has got like a hard defense element is really to create a formation of heroes on your grid that work together and benefit each other so um you initially start with like one piece of gold and an array of heroes to buy um and you pick one 
and then you place that hero pretty much anywhere and you fight some creeps that are the first thing to spawn. And it works on a timer. So every sort of like you get like a combat round happens and combat plays out automatically. You arrange the pieces like tower defense, you arrange the pieces and then they fight whatever is ahead of them. And then when every player is done, when it's all resolved... Do they walk around the grid or they just stay in position? what they are. They run around, they right. cast spells, they do stuff. Um, and then whenever... Uh, we kind of have to do it on the macro level before drilling down to like what actually happens. Like, so then, and then in between each round, you have a time limit. You get gold based on how you performed in the round. And then you have a, a certain amount of time to invest that gold and make decisions. So um, the first thing you might do is buy new heroes... You have an inventory and you have the grid itself. You have a limit of how many your your level, which is like an XP bar, basically, determines how many heroes you can play at the same time. So that's one thing. And you can invest some gold in getting extra XP, you know, try to top that up, try and get ahead of the curve in that way. You can also buy heroes. But this is the thing that I'm still sort of learning. The stock you're shown of like, these are the five options you've got to spend money on now is that is... Um, like almost like it's almost like a like a deck building game that that deck of options to buy is being passed around the players so if you pass on something someone else maybe will get the chance to buy it um and then you can also spend money in this to like refresh the stock like to try a different like almost like get a different hand of five and see if you want anything from that but that costs some money so whether or not that's worth the gamble or not and then um there are sort of some fundamental principles. So when you have three copies of a hero, they combine together and you get the level two version of that hero. And then when you can build three level two versions, so that's ultimately nine copies of the hero, you get the level three version. And that's really, really powerful. Um, the heroes have, uh, this is the thing that I, I think might be specific to this. They have spells, which they cast after they generate a certain amount of mana. They cast them automatically and you don't choose where they cast them, but they're quite powerful. And the thing that's common to, I think, all auto chess games is that heroes belong to allegiances. So, um, you know, uh, give you an example, like the character Chaos Knight is demonic and a knight, basically. And those are like almost like categories that they're in. And this is a huge part of the strategy because, um, these allegiances work like set bonuses in Diablo or World of Warcraft or an RPG. So if your formation includes two uh, heroes with the shaman ability then at the start of the combat round one random of, of the shaman allegiance then at the start of the combat round one random enemy is turned into a frog for six seconds <laughs> if you have two knights they share armor with each other if they're standing next to each other if you have do you choose where to put them yes and so you lay out a formation, but you don't choose where they run. Adjacency bonuses. Adjacency bonuses. <laughs> this is what I like. So it's it, like, I was actually thinking about this today. I, I think you would like this actually, Tom. Like I think, cause it's. I heard there's AI in this version, so I'll. There is, although I think, uh, I haven't played against the AI because I went straight into against people because, because it's a game that's 100% just decision making. Yeah, you're not really playing against people. Yeah, as... like the AI is like, cause you can click anyone else, their name and see exactly what they're doing, what they've got hmm. as well. So it feels like, Playing against the, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to play against the AI to learn things, but it, I think it would be, this is a game where you could probably r- write a, an unbeatable AI because it would just always <laughs> make the right decisions. You know what I mean? Depending on how much information it had. Um, but yeah. And, but actually I think even though you can play against other people, you don't ever really, you don't really see them. So, and so the other thing that you really need to kind of know to figure out how it works is when, so you go through, um, Every now and then you'll fight a couple of waves of AI in a row, like monsters, basically. And in, in auto chess, in, sorry, in, in underlords, 
that gives you the option to choose between if you if you if you lose to the monsters you only get one choice of loot item um if you beat the monsters you get to pick from three or four mm. options and so you can then pick something you can give that each character each hero can carry one item and so that's an additional layer of you know you give this character you switch off their spell but you give them attack speed and lifesteal does that say you know does that how does that go with this other bonus that gives everyone attack speed and lifesteal? And then, you know, it's all this stacking and kind of engine building mechanics. Do they, stuff. do they get defeated? Uh, not permanently. They... No. What do you mean defeated? Once you put them down on the board and they start fighting it, like, uh, creeps, do they get defeated? Like taken off the board? Uh, so any, everyone is reset at the end of a combat encounter. So, oh, right. so all you have to do to win a combat encounter is be the last person standing. Oh, oh well, and so this is the other really important thing. So, then when you have what basically a PVP round, essentially your army fights in two different contexts. If you just leave the camera looking at your own board, you'll be invaded by someone else's army. So they'll appear opposite you in the kind of mirror of whatever their position they've been set off in. And then your two armies will fight. And that will resolve itself based on however you've configured your, your stuff. Meanwhile, your army will go and invade someone else. And if you defend yourself, that's great. You know, that uh, defending yourself consistently leads to like a stacking gold bonus. So you get more out of each match. Um, but if you lose or if you obviously defeat someone else, then you take damage as a player equal to the level of all of the surviving enemies. Hmm. So if only one enemy survives, if it's a, he's almost a draw and one enemy just about makes it at the last minute and they're only level one, you only take one damage cool. and you start with a hundred health. And then the idea is it's just until one, only one person's left. So you start with nine and someone's probably going to get eliminated fairly quickly. And then that person's just out. They quit the game. They go play something else or they go queue for another game. But then at the end, it's just two systems fighting each other to try and resolve who wins. So it's a little bit battle royale in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although it takes a little bit longer to get at, to be knocked out because you've got mm. to take quite, and also people can't do a lot of damage early on. But later on when everyone's got re- like full, you know, a nine or 10 full level heroes then getting really badly crushed can be devastating so it's you know it becomes really really tense and really interesting um particularly because it's really easy to get set into like well i got these characters early and they work together in this way i'm going to build my entire strategy around this method and then to ignore actually better options that are coming up through the kind of the the hands of cards essentially that you're being offered and presumably your your opponents are also learning about your build yeah. and therefore then responding to it. Yeah, like I, I, I won my first whole match earlier and um and the thing that was really key in that is I'd built essentially a fortress. Like it was you know, it was actually quite like a caster and range damage heavy thing, and so I built into the corner of the square because you know, so certain heroes at the very beginning of a fight, they'll teleport to the back line. That's just their ability. It's what they do. You can also give characters items that allow them to teleport. And that was my big weakness. So I just built this you know, cluster basically. So there was no, there were no squares behind me to teleport to. And then when it came down to me and like the two other players, both of them started to get like these big AOE kind of, you know, big nukes and stuff that you couldn't, I couldn't get out of the way of. And all I did was split into two squares. So I took my formation of nine and turned it into a block of four and a block of five in two different corners. And that basically won me the match because there was, they could nuke half of me but not both. But like, it's a test of your ability to like rethink a strategy that's working while also planning ahead. And there's a lot of decision-making. It's really interesting. The other side to it is there's also this random element where you don't control how your heroes use their abilities, which can be really frustrating. Like I had one that I lost where a dying ogre magi 
um, which people by Dota will know, was about to cast his spell that gives you a massive like attack speed and damage buff to to an ally, and he had two choices who he cast it on. He cast it on a healer or the the an almost dead healer or a full health damage dealer, and he just cast it on the healer, and that that de- and it was really close that that particular fight, and that cost me it. But uh, at the same token, I've had moments where I have lost to my um, opponent's army. And then, like, a turn later, with nothing having really changed, they've lost to mine. And so it's like, hang on, you run these two armies against each other a couple of times, and it, different things can happen. It's a bit like Totally Accurate Battles. Yeah. Yeah, where so you run the same simulation thinking, yeah. a few times, and it's just, it can go different ways. And, yeah, I appreciate it. that was a big mechanics dump, but it is a big kind of mechanics thing. But it's really it's cool. I listened to a whole Three Moves Ahead podcast about this, uh, and so I thought I understood it. And I knew about the adjacency bonus thing, which is what excites me. <laughs> sort of, you know, figuring out like, oh, these, like, these three are all shamans and two of them are undead and I have another undead. So I get like the, the three undead thing and the yeah. three shaman thing. Um, but as I don't know if they mentioned this and I didn't absorb it, but I, the, if the nine player thing was in, this was just about auto chess, not about underlords. Um, I thought, I just assumed it was 1v1. I just, no, it was no I mean, like I, a chess yeah, match. Pip definitely said that it was loads of, it's loads of people. Chess. Like, right. I don't know if it was nine in, in, in auto chess, but it was definitely lots. But yeah, it's nuts. So you're constantly testing strategies against. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Actually, you like. Were. I mean, like I had a weird one earlier where I ended up coming second, I think, in the end. But there was one person that would like beat me really <laughs> badly every single time, but they were getting the ass kicked by everyone else. <laughs> so like they ended up going. Like I could just rely on the fact that I don't need to counter them because I'm beating everyone else, and so they are going to get eliminated before they can be a meaningful threat to me because they were taking so much damage from everybody else that it didn't matter that they were beating me once every <laughs> rotation. Like it's yeah. Are any competitive um sort of groups coming out of um I haven't seen it yet. Um it sounds so luck based that that or is it, you know? Well I think there's a there's like there's I have a few thoughts on that. Like one is that um it's definitely a test of decision making. Like it's a hundred percent a test of decision making. However, I have been in a situation where I've been when I won it, I was so far ahead I couldn't see how anyone could catch up with me really. But then you do occasionally take a loss and you have to figure out why. Um, it, you know, there's an element of it where it feels a little bit like it's very Moorish because you're, it's, it's that tickle of yeah. little decision, little decision, little decision. But also it loads of chance, loads of chance. Or well, what am I going to go come up with next? Yeah. Although the chance, the chance element is like, it's quite soft. There's nothing massive that can happen that changes your entire strategy or that gets you out of a bind. Right. Like every, every bonus you get, it's actually like normally in, um, I think, you know, we've, t- we've talked so much about like Diablo style games and, and random luck and, and stuff in, in the past. In those games, I think we were all really happy to see the end of incremental bonuses to things in favor of like the, the sort of lesser stage Diablo 3 thing of like good loot changes how an ability works so dramatically that it's exciting because it's like this isn't a 20% damage buff. This is a play style, you yeah. know, packaged inside yeah. an item. Auto chess is the opposite of that. It's back to percentage increases, and that's better because it means that like you can't get like the 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 the, the equivalent of like a rare card or something that oh it means oh, I've just won. You know what I mean? Like there's always like little incremental decisions to make, and it sounds a bit a little bit like sort of ascension, magic gathering, yeah, kind an of element stuff. Of that. Yeah. yeah, like so. Like an example is you know uh, most allegiances give you a bonus at like 
let's say, you know, you get two people. It's usually two or three for the first bonus. You get nothing until you have two or three of the same allegiance, and then you get the basic level of the bonus. And then some of them stop there. Like, that's the maximum you can get out of them. Um, uh, but some of them, the ones that go to, like, scale to, like, uh, f- like four, five, or six, um, they those bonuses become really, really, really good. And there's a, there's a, a rule which is, they have to be sep- they have to be different characters of the same allegiance. So if you have three, co- if you have, you don't really have th- three copies of the same person because they'll turn into two, mm. but you can end up in a situation very easily where you have like a level two axe and a level one axe because you're saving up for the second level two axe that will help you ultimately make a level three axe, etc. You can play them both at the same time, but they don't benefit each other. They don't count. They count as one instance of that character. Yeah. So in order to get like, I think there are only four troll allegiance characters but the troll the full troll allegiance ability is really really good so if you get three of them early on you probably want to start playing for the fourth one and then the kind of like galaxy brain version of this is if you notice someone else is doing this buy them and just keep them in your inventory because you've denied them you've denied them and you can often sell stuff you're carrying back to the for the cost you paid for it so once they're in your inventory what's the cost of deploying them nothing you can you can drag them in and out um in the timer between Right. Between matches, you can swap people in and out. Um, and so there's this thing of like, you're constantly thinking, am I going to wait and see if this particular thing comes up or am I going to play for something else? Or do I adapt based on, on what's happening? Like you can sometimes be given instead of an item, the option to take like a permanent passive buff that normally interacts with a very specific kind of character. So there's like a, and I think this is where Underworld, Underlords is kind of taking off in its own kind of direction, which I think is really interesting. And I appreciate this is pure mechanics number wang, but so there are demons and demons are really powerful because if you have one demon, it buffs itself massively. And if you have multiple demons of exactly the same kind, so there it's, it's anti-allegiance basically. As long as there's only one kind of demon uh, that you have, they give themselves like a huge 50% damage buff. So they become really good. So you can often just get, just get the one, but if you get tempted to take two demons, they cancel each other's buff out, huh. um, which is normally bad. Um, however, there are two characters in the entire game who have the demon hunter allegiance. And if, if you have a demon hunter in your thing, in your, in your crew, then they will always switch off the enemy's demon bonus, which means that the demon bonus is quite fickle. Like, you know, if, if you see that someone else is capitalizing on one big demon, if you take one of the two demon hunter characters, it, it massively defangs them. And then there's this buff I got offered. Um, this is in the one I won actually. Um, it's a buff called, like it's a, well, it's like a passive that you take for the rest of the match. It's called Strange Bedfellows. And what it does is it means that demon hunters gain a huge buff for every different unique demon type you have <laughs> in the army with them. As if, All like, right. so you, um, and, and one of the two demon hunters is also a demon. So their two allegiances <laughs> are demon and demon hunter. It's a very confused young man, yeah. basically. But it actually ends up being really themey in a very particularly Dota nerd way, because it's anti-mage and terrorblade are the two demon hunters. So, um, who were, who were brothers in, in Warcraft Dota. So there's <laughs> like a, they're doing a very deep cut by making those two work together in this context. So there's a build that you end up doing where you, you have those two and then stack up the rest of the demons. And then both of them become insane. And it's like really kind of, it's fun getting that at the start of the game and then having to build a different strategy to survive while you wait for those cards to come around and then mm. figuring out how to optimally do this to a time limit while also dealing with other pressures. It's really interesting. It's going to be mad if and when Blizzard do their take on this. Cause like 
You know, hmm. they made Warcraft, which is, and Demon Hunters are a thing in that that is carried right, across yeah. all through well, this. So that's G- the thing. Anti Mage and Terrorblade were both originally Illidan. <laughs> um, so Anti Mage, so you know, in Warcraft three, Illidan oh, course, goes bad, yeah, yeah. right? So Anti Mage is good Illidan, and right. Terrorblade was bad Illidan. That was because you know, original old Dota used every part of the buffalo <laughs> to carving that game. Every up. part of the Illidan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They do eat every part of the Illidan. And uh, in 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 Dota two, those two characters look very different, and they're no longer brothers because it would have been weird for Valve to do that. <laughs> but yeah. like, um, but yeah, so. I think it'd be interesting if, if Blizzard do this, because obviously they had this exact problem with Heroes of the Storm, where they mm, went then did Third the, to the race. Yeah, they were third to the race. But also Blizzard's philosophy when it comes to how complex is too complex and that kind of easy to learn, difficult to master thing they do with everything. I think, I think it was, you know, it, I think Heroes of the Storm struggled to find its voice while also adhering to mm. that. And I think they would, I think this would struggle enormously because it's like, it's not like Hearthstone. You can't just start dragging some cards into play and know exactly what you're doing. Like, yeah, it's a bit antithetical. If you fail to buy and deploy your first character in the first 10 seconds, and this, it doesn't explain to you how to do this. If you fail to do that, you just lose the first round. Because <laughs> the two creeps that you're supposed to be able to kill for free for gold just walk in and have no one to fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, um, it's not interesting. Punishing. It's um, punishing. There's a talk at GDC that was a sort of roundup of game designers sharing like a rule, a sort of tip. And Soren Johnson's one was about, uh, knowing your inheritance, like what, what mechanics and design things you inherited. And it, one of the examples he gave was, uh, creep denial, which mm. is obviously from, uh, a Dota mechanic that sort of came naturally from Warcraft mechanics in terms of like the X- XP you get for killing things and how that works. So creep denial is where you kill your own creep so that the enemies can't kill it so that you, they don't get the gold and the XP. Mm. And uh, Soren says that Dota does this, but League of Legends took it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was arguing basically that League of Legends made the right call. Like this is like you should be aware of your inheritance because this is a thing that like came about only as a natural result of thing, a natural result of you know where it came from. And although there is gameplay associated with it, you know it's definitely mechanically relevant and there's strategies that revolve around it. Uh, you have to sort of zoom out and ask yourself the bigger question of does this make any sense? <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, is it what you want your players to spend time doing and, and make the hard decision of whether you should cut it or not? But the reason I thought of this is because he says that, uh, on that case, the, um, he uses this as an example because he thinks that the market has justified his his opinion, which is that League of Legends was right to strip it out because League of Legends is bigger than Dota 2. Um, <laughs> and, but he wanted to talk about how he also thinks last hitting is dumb, but he can't argue for that because uh, both League of Legends and Dota 2 do that, and Heroes of the Storm is the one that ditched it and it didn't do as well. <laughs> yeah, right. It's weird though, like, to the, the idea... Like he's coming, at, at looking at these games from this sort of old world, sort of, um, like the creator kind of, mm-hmm. um, uh, point of view where, but, but Dota and, and all these games and like an auto chess, they are, they are while they're guided by individuals, the individuals are almost like, um, like DJs or curators. <laughs> like they're kind of, they're guiding it in the right way. And yeah. their, their main role is, what do we add to this that kind of 
adds to the balance not yeah, like what is my intent and what do i want my players to yeah. to kind of actually, experience like ice frog is not the guy who invented dota right, right. he's no. someone who, yeah, he's who maintained it yeah like, exactly developed it from yeah well i mean like initial- his dota his dota was dota all stars which yeah. was it literally is what it says on the tin it was like everyone else's dotas you're taking the best parts of them and <laughs> exactly to make the most sense taking out the characters that are completely weird and you know that's like that's what i mean when it's like it's a um, these games work because they are a platform for people to apply design ideas yeah. to, and you know there. Are, and I think in a traditional design sense, I don't think there are tremendous. There aren't really any bad decisions in that thing. The things that don't work out, but you, you know, yeah, there are things that sort of when you have millions of players, like sort of, you know, th- yeah, things are more better than others simply <laughs> by the number of people that play it, like yeah. exhaustively. But similarly, like, you know, when you have a character, when you have a game with hundred odd characters where 10 are played at a time, yeah. it's okay if some of them are a bit niche or a bit weird yeah. or fall down a bit of a design hole and sometimes are good and sometimes fall out of favor because that's creates interest. It gives play- players places to go. You know, there's, there's yeah. not. Well, you want bad draws. You want bad, you want yeah. decisions, like decisions um, that some are good and some are bad. For and similarly, like, I really don't think that the last hitting denying thing is, is clear cut at all. No, not because at all. it's like a, it's, it's one of those skill ceiling things that people will argue over. Yeah, but it's decisions were like, I can totally see why they made the decisions and yeah. I personally really like that game, you know? Yeah. But that's right. because I'm a, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like us as well. Like, um, but it's also, I mean, um, you know, people have a, a capacity to um you know take on complex concepts as well and i think you know yeah. i think there's a relationship between giving making players responsible for too much and putting too much to chance i think um hearthstone has, has really struggled to walk that line consistently between being the accessible magic the gathering and and just not being as tight you know uh, and now magic online is is really taking off and you know I think, well, and then, and then the flip side to that is, oh, but Artifact was too far the other way. And so mm. this balance is so difficult to strike because, uh, I remember, you know, everyone knows who's listening to this podcast, what an enormous, like, Artifact stan I was <laughs> and am. Like, and I have to, I have to concede that, you know, the, the universe may have been right on that because when the developers are saying, like, we don't know why this didn't work, <laughs> then fine. But I love that game. I think it's a really beautifully designed game, but, but it's I think like maybe it's, I just think, for me. <laughs> I think it's dangerous to think that, that like fashion and things outside of pure sort of objective, this is a better des- piece of design than another come into play. Like, I don't think mm. that you can separate out the stuff around artifact from the reason why people came away and stopped playing it. I think that's And reasonable. I don't, and I think that, you know, the, the meta around games, isn't purely to do with mechanics it's mm. it's it's also to do with culture and more amorphous stuff yeah I it's interesting that underlords is just sort of launched it's just like yeah. uh, hey we mentioned we might do this thing okay it's out now yeah. <laughs> and then yeah yeah uh i also saw that like the next stage um i don't know if this is the beta stage or, or something else but um it'll be on ios and android which i think is valve's first mobile game right yeah, right. Can't yeah, think of anything else the UI very much shows that it, it wants you to touch it. Like, um, is it nice UI? Like, is it is it yeah, the nicest uh, version? Yeah, of this game I so, so I say this only. I played the mod once or twice and was completely overwhelmed and by it. it. This one does like it took me a while to learn where everything was and to find things, but um, it that's one of the reasons that it's given me access to what is cool about this new genre. I guess is 
it's really good at telling you what you like what is possible so i'll give you an example so given those allegiance bonuses is so important when you go to if you uh you can you have th- you can choose between three side panels one is like a damage dps meter like an you know, mmo which is useful if you're getting to the nerdy details one is your items which is just utilitarian and one is your kind of current allegiances and where you're at with them and if you click on any of the bonuses you've currently got it will highlight the two characters that are giving you that bonus together you know or the three or however many if you go to drag a ca- when you're in the process of dragging a character to the field like a colored beam of light will kind of arc out of them based on their particular allegiances to anyone else they have an affinity with. Right. So you can see on a fly like, oh, these knights are yellow. It's all color coded. So knight is yellow. So you drag a knight on, it'll immediately kind of like show you. you. You should know this stuff, but that does help you immediately kind of internalize it. And then when a new, when, when you see in the characters are listed in the shop, it's all kind of one screen. It's just panels on a screen. When the characters are listed in a shop underneath, they will, it, there's a little readout, which is initially confusing because it's colored blocks and some of them are full and some of them are like hollow, like just outlines. And what that means is, um, you know, uh, this character w- and one of them is, is flashing and the one that's flashing is what that character represents. And that just means you have the colored blocks represent characters of that allegiance you currently have in the field and the hollow blocks represent characters of that allegiance you currently have on the bench. So it's like, if I get this one, this will be my fourth one, but two of them are currently in play and one of them's on the bench. So if I play all four of them, then I will get the four spot allegiance for this. So it's, that sounds complicated, but it's actually really Mm. quick to understand exactly, you know, more, more colored blocks is better basically. (laughs) And that's, you know, pretty, yeah. So that's all pretty good. Actually, it'd be very touch screen friendly because it's just make a few decisions, watch, make a few decisions, watch. I wonder if, um, Wait, no, I don't know. I was going with that. <laughs> the thing I was going to say was, uh, I remember hearing that from auto chess players, the item system in auto chess is really complex and weird, and they're all really grateful for how Underworld Underlords fixes that. Like, about it is way simpler. I don't know how it was in auto chess so much so that I forgot they had an item system. So I was probably so overwhelmed, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty simple. Like, an item is basically just a particular buff, and you know, you just pick who you want to apply it to. So. Sometimes it's just movement speed or damage or something like that. And then sometimes it's something a little bit more complicated, but you know, you'll make interesting decisions based on what's possible. Like if you have something that halves, you know, there's an item that halves your cooldown and your spell. Cause in addition to requiring mana, they'll, some of them have a cooldown. Do you put that on someone with a already low cooldown spell? So they're spamming it all the time if it's powerful. Or do you put that on some of the rare, rarer kind of spells that have 30 or 30 seconds or one minute cooldowns? Because normally you'll never see a 60 second cooldown spell used twice in a single run because a given battle's pretty short. But maybe. So if you have a, a strat that slows the game down, maybe that's a really good idea because then you can potentially see something powerful twice. Like that's, this stuff is catnip to me. Like I, I love this, this sort of like, oh, but in this situation you could use the item this way stuff. But yeah, it's pretty bottomless. I think it makes, design wise, it makes for an interesting comparison. I'm starting to get why maybe this was successful and Artifact wasn't. Because Artifact, with its three boards kind of mad thing, was like, play three really intense card games against one person <laughs> all of the time. Whereas this is like, very slowly iterate on one thing. Like, build one thing, and then just see how it does in like, nine different situations. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then, make some changes. And, you're going to have a limited choice about what those changes are. So you just did do your best and you can sell anything back for its value. So when you buy a card, you're really just holding it for now. And maybe you keep using it. Maybe you sell it back, you know, and there's a tremendous strategy there, but it's, it's nowhere near as punishing as 
Okay, you've built your deck, you're in this situation, manage it across three different timelines. Go. Like Can you if you deploy something, can you still sell it? Yep. Right. Yeah, you can just un I think this is stuff that I'm still wrapping my head around, so I may, may make some mistakes. You can sell it back and I think that returns it to the pool. Right. So there's the risk of like if you sell it back, someone else can then snap it up. So mm-hmm. if you're not using it, so there's that there's that awkward thing of like if I'm holding one of them and you need that to upgrade yours, but you've got the higher level one, and I need the gold something that might beat that, but in doing that I sell the thing that then means that you mm-hmm. have a chance to get it, etc. 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 There's like a lot going on. <laughs> a lot going on. Good for the brain. Also, it made me reinstall Dota. Well, no, Dota was in the store, but I hadn't actually genuinely played Dota in months and loaded it and I thought I had the feeling. I had to, oh, no. <laughs> and I really can't afford it right now, but oh boy. I played another thing just, oh, yeah? uh, that I won't talk about for too long because it's uh, <laughs> almost ineffable, <laughs> uh, which is Shape of the World. Mm. It was a first person exploration game that with a very heavily stylized art style where everything is kind of flat shaded color or color gradients. Um, and that had been on my wish list for ages and ages. Um, I dismissed it early on because I thought it was a VR thing, but it's not. Um, it's just, uh, it's very much in the vein of Proteus. If anyone uh, mm. is old enough to remember Proteus. Oh no. <laughs> not that. I know. It was a really long time ago now. Not Proteus, which is the, the Doom-like shooter thing. The, very much the opposite of that. <laughs> um, first person, uh, music driven exploration game. Um, and this is also just about exploring a place and, uh, a lot of these games don't work for me again because I'm the world's most impatient man. <laughs> um, but this one did because it's got, I, I don't know how long it took to play. I think they say it's sort of like one to three hours. I think it might have taken me about two ish. Um, and it kind of, it just has a lot of visual treats in store for you. You're just going to be going through. All you're doing in this, it will be like a, I think you start in a sort of like marshy coastland kind of place. And there's just a kind of like V shape in the horizon that you need to get to. Um, it's just, you just sort of know you need to get to it. It's just like, well, that's weird. Let's go over there. And then when you go through it, the world around you changes color and also changes shape to some extent. And then there'll be a different V shape that you need to get to. And so it's super uh, simple to know what you need to do. I think that's one thing that marks it apart from a lot of other stylized, purely explorative, uh, like beautiful ambient experiences. And and one of the reasons this works for me better than a lot of those is I'm again, very impatient. And I just, just tell me what to do. Just tell me where I'm going. Just like, give me something like I can walk around this and look at it for a little while, but within 20 seconds, I need to know like, where am I going? How do I make this like turn into something new now? And this is really intuitively clear there's no words in it It it's just obvious you go towards this big arch thing and when you go through the arch thing like oh everything's totally different now and like it it looks beautiful and it just keeps on surprising you with like how much more it has to give you visually like oh i've never seen it rain before in this world or i've never been underwater in this world or i've never seen a fucking whale in the sky (laughs) and now i'm seeing that and the color is changing and so it has a different mood and the other thing it does really well is um it's not slow to move around. Your normal walking speed is kind of what you're used to in these games and that it's sort of realistic walking speed, which is slow. But um, one of those sort of main ways you progress, is it never really has any puzzles, but it has like, there'll be three glowing stones and you touch all three of them. And once you touch all three of them, a 
sort of stairway appears that leads you towards the arch and um that you know gets slightly more complicated than that but never to the point of a proper puzzle but once you are on that stairway suddenly you move super fast and it's this like it's your reward for solving the thing mm. and, and progressing um and speed is a great reward in a game like this because mm. you're trying to get to the next place anyway mm. once you're on this big magical stairway there's only one place you can go so there's no you know you don't have to worry about like um deciding where you want to move and so once you're on it i very much want to just get to the next damn thing and so if that was just walking speed this game would be half as good but because it gives you this boost you kind of feel you know it's a thrill and you're seeing more scenery you're also going up into the sky most of the time so you're getting this great vista um and you feel rewarded and you're also just getting to the next thing quicker uh, and then it has the other way it speeds things up is a really weird mechanic, uh, which is if you find any kind of seed, which is just these collectibles that show up sometimes, once you have one, you can throw one out and it will plant a tree. Uh, and as a universal rule in this world, any tree that you see that's within about two meters, if you click on it, you, it destroys the tree and pulls you towards it, <laughs> which is a strange mechanic. Uh <laughs> And that would, you know, it, hmm. so like if you're standing on the ground, it's, um, that gives you a little bit of a speed boost. And so if you're like going through a forest, you can, if you like, destroy the forest, go slightly <laughs> faster through it. And I will make that trade off. <laughs> I'm not above destroying a forest to go slightly faster. Uh, but then I discovered like, it's just a physics force. So if you're in the air when it affects you, it gives you, it's like a slingshot. It's this huge boost. And so then. That's, that's when like planting one tree actually matters. And so you get in, you discover this weird little sort of, it's almost like a trick shot thing that you can do where hmm. if you throw this seed sufficiently far in front of you, the tree will grow soon enough that when you're within two meters of it, then you can d- jump and destroy it to fling yourself forwards. <laughs> and it's quite an involved mechanic. Like you have to get those, <laughs> those stages right. And so you don't use it all the time. It doesn't become an, this, this thing where that's just how you move around this world. But if you ever are, sick of exploring this particular place and you just need to get from a to b suddenly it's fucking tree destroying jumpy slingshot time <laughs> it sounds like did they have bunny hopping across was there a person on this development team who really wanted to make this particular yeah. like i feel like there was someone who wanted to make this a beautiful serene experience and then there was also me on this development team saying, <laughs> exactly. couldn't this go much much faster if we just destroyed the fucking tree yeah can we put grappling hooks in this no <laughs> can we put grappling hook no i'm thinking trees okay <laughs> yeah yeah, oh man, now I want to play, trees. now I want to play like Dear Esther, but with the skiing from Tribes. <laughs> yeah, that's what this is like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I really recommend it. It's, um, yeah, it's relatively short. You just play through it and it's beautiful and, uh, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Awesome. It's all you can hope from for games, really. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to be over. <laughs> uh. Shall we do some questions? What, from questions? Yeah, that's where they come from. If you want them from somewhere else, you can't have them. <laughs> but you can have these ones. First question comes from Mr. Guy Humanman, who writes, Hello, Box and Whisker Plot. Who is your favourite member of the podcast, and why is it Pip? <laughs> Thank you for answering my question. Sincerely, Mr. Guy Humanman. <laughs> um... <laughs> are we supposed to actually answer that <laughs> well so uh i would say as important context it was revealed by the metadata of this email this email was sent from philippa war <laughs> <laughs> the metadata i hacked it 
in the mainframe. You know, <laughs> when you said guy human, when I had this just sense of my gut, I don't know where it came from, but there might be a fake name. <laughs> I am, um, I'm, I'm sure there is someone in the world whose name is Guy Chapman. Uh, which, <laughs> right. <laughs> which is, which has been like, I've really wanted the protagonist of a game to be called Guy Chapman for so long just because that's the, um, the name. <laughs> hero protagonist in Snow Crash. Uh, that's true, but that's, that's sort of on purpose. Yeah. Right? You know, very on purpose. whereas, you know, Anyway, uh, that's, that's, I mean, I guess, um. He was a, a British historian and author. Really? Yeah. <laughs> man, man, man. <laughs> Major Guy Patterson Chapman. <laughs> Patterson in the middle. If it was Guy Son Chapman, then that would be <laughs> Guy Son Chapman. Even just Major Guy Chapman is great. <laughs> He's a Major Guy Chapman, you know, all those things. <laughs> uh. Someone overly protesting a masculinity. <laughs> exactly. His uh, first book was called A Passionate Prod- Prodigality. I thought you were going to say podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that would be true actually. Like, so if, if your, if your, if your name contains three men, then you definitely are a podcast. <laughs> uh, we don't have to answer this. I just realized Pip wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> it's null and void. Uh, yeah, like, uh, it's a bit like that. Um, did a Doberman write this kind of? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Good. Uh, Mikko writes, Hey CNC. Um, much like you, I was extremely disappointed after seeing the fallen Jedi fallen order gameplay demo. However, people describing what that they got to play, what they got to play behind closed doors makes it sound like an entirely different game. For starters, the game is very soulsy from bonfires that respawn enemies to having an Estus flask for healing. Meanwhile, the combat is supposed to feel closer to the parry-focused Sekiro. Apparently, the game is also very open-ended, with the player able to travel between its several planets at will. And supposedly, the planets themselves are more like Metroid levels than a linear experience. Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb mentioned that even the Respawn employee handling his demo session said that they were trying to get the word out about what the game is really like. Oh dear. <laughs> if only they had some kind of public I mean, opportunity yeah. to do this. <laughs> um, does this description make you more interested in the game? And why would EA try to sell this game as a mediocre Uncharted instead of Jedi Souls? Cheerio and keep on podding. Uh, Mikko, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a good question. It's a very good question. The, um, so yeah, like I'd, I'd heard rumblings of this as well. And that was immediately, it was like, oh, all right. And it almost like, it didn't make me excited, but it sort of reset back to zero. It's yeah. not like, okay, I'll just pretend I haven't seen that then and Funny, start again. So um, I listened to the Waypoint podcast where Austin Walker talks about when he was shown the game. And uh, apparently the first thing they, they sort of showed him was just like, they put him in a kind of a gray box room with like no environment art and just had him fight a bunch of enemies and just say, see how this game feels. And that suggests to me there's this big disconnect between like, they know what they have. Like the, the good thing is what it's like to play but they can't show it yet. Like there's no way to sort of sell that. And so they showed some other things, <laughs> none of which were impressive or interesting or like, it, I mean, I guess we kind of covered this last week, but it's, it just felt like it was doing a tour of a bunch of mechanics we've seen in other games and doing them all a little bit worse than the best things in the genre. Yeah. Like suddenly the, if if you add Metroidvania structure to that, then the notion of slowing down time to go through a thing <laughs> If you could slow down time, if you could slow some blades, um, you as chat. Slow down time. <laughs> yeah, if, if you could stop the blades. <laughs> <laughs> if you go at normal speed, they'll hurt you. <laughs> That's my best chair impression. Um, 
This is a two share podcast. Yeah, That's my favorite podcast member is share. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, you know, if that becomes a, that's an optional ability, when you have the optional ability, it unlocks these routes. That's fine. That's fine. It's no longer this Simon Says thing. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't get it because mm. if, if the year was 2010, we all remember that. Um, then yeah, I would completely understand. Well, we've got to make this game look like a kind of linear third person action adventure game that we've all played a million times or else it's not going to do big numbers at electronic three, <laughs> but we do not, we do not dark souls, very popular game, very well regarded by players have said, <laughs> therefore imagine how blown away people would have been if the demo had shown that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't have to come out and say, this is Star Wars Dark Souls, everybody. But if they have, like, the demo be start with the player at whatever their bonfire equivalent is, probably like a a, a, a lightsaber st- in a, <laughs> I don't know, a bin. <laughs> <laughs> like one of those barrel fires. No, like, I was actually thinking, like, you know, in, um, in Return of the Jedi when R2-D2 fires Luke's lightsaber out of his head. That's, that's, that's a lightsaber in a bin. Like, <laughs> so it's, a, it's an R2 with a lightsaber. Just yeah. stab it into a droid. Yeah. You must kill a droid every time you save your progress. Um, well, it's because you're dark. Yeah. Um, then, then that would have been, and then they'd shown you go off and exploring and doing like the typical sort of Dark Souls style loop and then unlocking the next one and maybe dying and going back to that point. They could call it Stark Souls. That's the Game of Thrones one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that would have been, that would have been amazing. People would have been, you know, that headline writes itself, you know, like the number of respawn are making Star Wars, Don't Dark Souls. Don't think it's Souls. a thing, do you? Like that they had to demonstrate to Disney or whatever that there was a strong storyline with incredibly strong characters like, like the Jedi. Like Jeremy Blando Calrissian. Yeah, Blando Calrissian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like that's. And the bloopy robot. What? <laughs> Fuck the Blueby robot. <laughs> Alex hates the Blueby For the listeners, Alex hates the Blueby robot. We talked about this For yesterday. some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is very personal. I mean, I, I absolutely agree that it's generic and there's nothing inspiring about it, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, fine. it's an unusual thing to be like oh, really pissed sakes, off about. Tom. Like, come it's on. Fine, it's fine, Alex. But that, no, it's not fine. I hate the guy. I, like, the, the, the yeah. bland white dude so who this just is probably looks why I hate kind of the, spoiled well, and. Well, that's because they, so they know arrogant. they've got to get some sort of charm going on, right? Yeah. And they thought, oh, well, let's not make your character interesting (laughs) and we'll put it all onto a a droid. And you chose to blame the droid for that. The droid shouldn't (laughs) fucking exist. (laughs) Fuck the droid. I think Blando should exist. You should just be the droid. Droid alone. Blando would have to be better if there was no bloopy little fucking droids. If they they really are going down Dark Souls. No, the whole game is solved if it doesn't have that droid in it. (laughs) Whole game is solved if it doesn't have Blando in it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm agree with Tom. The game is solved. The game is solved if if it was a custom character. Genuinely. Yeah. Genuinely, if it was just... Jedi Academy figured it out. Jedi Academy got this right. Like, just let me play as whoever. Do... It's it's 2019. You can do the main character's voice twice. Do a... Uh, have a, a female actor and a male actor. Have both. Let me pick. Then... If Watch Dogs Legion can do 20 people, you can do yeah. two. <laughs> then, you know, like... That's, that's the Star Wars fantasy. That's good. You can then do whatever. And then you can show Blando in the, in the three demo, because if that's what you feel you need, but no, let me, let me just run around as, as, as whoever. 
and also then Chris would, Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Christopher <laughs> Christopher Jedi, and then the um, and that would also solve. It would also enable the the Grand Dark Souls tradition of doing the runners just a kind of emaciated. <laughs> Pained looking naked man, which is something that <laughs> Star Wars has been desperately like. It really has. <laughs> you wouldn't mind the droids so much if you were like, sort of just like a, a frightened looking, shivery bloke in a loincloth. Stashing <laughs> <laughs> a lightsaber out of bin. Ah, fuck that droid. Why is that I really bad? want the bonfires to be like you stabbing that droid. Stab the droid. <laughs> just that one droid. What is it about it that bothers you so much? Because it's just, uh, incredibly lazy. Because all of the fucking Star Warses have. They gotta do a the droid. Be droid, right? Yeah. And this particular one, like, they did, they did, they did the bucket bin <laughs> Too far one. this time. They'd done the bin one, right? Yeah. They'd done the bally one. <laughs> and now they've got to have the little two-legged bloopy droid. And it's like, fuck the, what fuck the droid. What do you want from them? What, what is it needed for? Did you want them to not do a droid or did you want them to do a different droid? Um, okay. I'd probably be okay if it was a good droid, like an interesting droid. What about like, but I basically, I don't see, I think really, like, if I'm going to be serious about it, my problem is just the slavish way with which that demo what followed the Star Wars things. You like uh all Star Wars needs to have a bland uh force learning, force loving main kind of character, like Luke Skywalker and you know, just they all fucking have it. And I can just I do I'm think, fed up with it. I think Blando made me realise that Luke is better than I gave him credit for. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, at the time, exactly. I kind of thought like, oh, he's exactly bland. Sure. And then you see a true bland character. Like, no, wait. No, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, Luke sure. Skywalker was kind of sympathetic. He's meant to be, he plays the every man rule and presumably... What, in, this Luke is, in Star Wars? Huh? No, Luke doesn't. Mark Hamill didn't, but this guy does, yeah. No, sure, but, yeah. but, the, but, the, but the Luke character is meant to be the one, the, the single character in, in Star Wars that the, the audience is meant to put themselves in the shoe on. I think well. Luke and Ray. Because it's the, because Luke and Ray. Yeah, they, they, they play the same They role. both feel like put upon. They're all both in like tough situations well, they're where doing they're, the hero's they're journey, very unfulfilled right? and they, they're kind of, um, underappreciated. Whereas I, this guy just immediately <laughs> kind of just I looks think, kind I mean, of arrogant looks and very privileged. privileged. And, like, yeah. He does look very privileged. Yeah. Like, I mean, everything's wrong with him. Like, absolutely everything's <laughs> wrong with him. <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah. but it's, but I think that I found that my, my fingernails, particularly under the droid and what it means, I, I still say that if there was no droid, no attempt to have a charming little droid for you to like, Blando would have to do a bit more fucking work and Blando wouldn't be Blando. I don't think that's necessarily true. In fact, <laughs> in this, I can, in this I, completely. I can offer you the counter argument. I would say that one of the things that is interesting about Star Wars cinematically is that for all the, you know, for all of the things that George Lucas has said about the hero's journey and the importance of it, like, it kind of undermines it quite substantially with Luke specifically, because the, the character you really follow in Star Wars, to be honest, is mostly Han or Leia. Hmm. Like, Luke is your initial kind of point of view going, stepping yeah. out into the big universe character, but then from basically, like, Empire Strikes Back onwards, Han is kind of the, the, the most relatable character that people... He's the one you want. You, he's the one you want to be. No, because he's the older. A, he's the older kind of like he's the big brother. The kind of like the, a, the the person you want to be. Whereas you are you you know that you're the the Luke one I, in this world. I, saw, world. I can see where you want to be Han, but you're Luke underneath. You know it to be true. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from, but I think it's a really really important thing that isn't account isn't accounted for by that, which is that from and this is we're getting into film podcast again, but from Empire onwards. 
Luke talks exclusively to costumes and Muppets. <laughs> like, that is true. That is true. Like, you know, that, okay. and that doesn't happen to any other kind okay. of traditional protagonist. He drops off the face of the earth. He keeps going, of, going off on his own and being like, a dickhead. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and like, yeah. And actually, you know, I'm just remembering my experience of reading the Back to the uh, uh, Return of the Jedi novel, mm. uh, and getting really bored in the, the off, chapters which are about luke and you just like get me back to the big interesting right yeah so you know like because the other characters like that's almost like i often think about it in terms of because i think of the the actors in the original trilogy mark hamill often gets kind of the shortest shrift in terms of what he what he in terms of performances that are remembered but actually i don't think it's entirely fair because harrison ford can be cool right like that's you know he he's great but it's also what was asked of him and carrie fish is great in those films but mark hamill had to make a character work while literally acting to either a puppet yeah. or some droids. He's either talking to, he's either talking to Yoda, R2, or Vader, which is like in either case, like almost never the actual actor facing him. And, um, and so what I'm, what I'm arguing is the droid is necessary <laughs> because if Blando can't sell the character while talking to a bin, <laughs> then it's not a real Star Wars character, Star Wars protagonist. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, that's, and so, um, yeah, for that reason, the droids should stay and they should just, um, but they should, they should downplay can it, how just, reactive can it the droid take, take off one of its legs and make it hot rather like, <laughs> it, is it, because, I this because the key, the key thing to any Star Wars we burn it with is, a magnifying glass? <laughs> is its, is its method of uh, propulsion. Yeah. Like, and, and like, two-legged like fucking hell how much imagination <laughs> went into that? Hopping hasn't been done in a Star Wars before. See, Fubia has two legs. I mean, bear in mind, some droids are just a, a man. Like, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask is like, how would you feel about that, uh, targeting droid that they test? Uh, the hoverty one. Uh, yeah. The hovering one. Yeah. Purely floating sphere. Uh, yeah. Is that acceptable? It's fine because it has absolutely no character at all. <laughs> <laughs> it so actually, the fact that this has some character is what's pissing you off. Ooh, I'm a cheerful little blippy <laughs> droid. Hey, I go to bloop some some talk back to you in a minute because oh but then i'll do it anyway (laughs) have you ever had that situation where there's like one person that comes around your house and your dog hates them and you don't know why (laughs) and you realize like oh shit like you know i guess it's not okay for this person to come around anymore like the um (laughs) yeah the um, I think I think you may be onto something with the fact that it's obviously very mobile. It's got very agile little legs, and it can climb things, which breaks the. All the off. better for turning off switches high on walls, exactly for you to direct. Which it kind to. of maybe slightly breaks the Star Wars tradition of designing robots that can then not be realistically go up in and any downstairs. of the things that happen in <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. You know, it was a, it was maybe a big betrayal of some sort of very vital theme when they gave R two D two rocket boosters in order to explain <laughs> how we can get fucking anywhere. Whereas the other archetype for a robot is an extremely slow man. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you know, the you know, man. And I love that universe almost more than anything. But there's the person who designed the protocol droid and was like, you know what? I'm going to design this so it moves like a person <laughs> in an ill fitting costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works somehow because, yeah, it just sort of does. Um, so maybe you're right that it shouldn't be too, you know, mobile. Go a bit, go a bit destiny on you, you know, robot companion. <laughs> yeah. Would you feel better if the droid just spoke in normal English? Just to really, like, <laughs> undo the Star Wars thing. Right, Trev, you want me to yeah, open yeah. a switch? <laughs> yeah, all right, Blando. Blando. <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> Did you see the stormtrooper there? Did you hear him? Did Jesus hear Christ. Bark? Oh, nice one, Blando. <laughs> 
Oh, I've just thought of it. What if the droid had the voice of Trevor Belmont from the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, actually, it would be fantastic. Like, you, I don't care or know what your character's name is, but it's not Blando, but he just calls you Blando. Like, he's the one who's a <laughs> Blando currency. <laughs> Oh, I'm stuck with fucking Blando Calrissian. <laughs> fucking hell. You already done with the switch, do you, Blando? All right. <laughs> oh, man. If, 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 you know, we've recorded this now. And if, if the next set of previews reveal that, like, they didn't show this in the demo. Um, but the, um, for some reason, the droid just insults you constantly. <laughs> that is, that's how to solve it with me. Like, if you always play, like, a really, a character I hate. Have a character who constantly tells me how much they more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. Um, would it? No, but the, um, <laughs> I hope it happens. It's not going to. But yeah, no, I, I will now. I've now reset my excitement levels to zero. Yeah, we're, we're, we're at opinion <laughs> zero. We're at negative ten. Zero. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, if anything, EA should be glad that they managed to orchestrate an E3 situation where they demoed the game and then the journalist rescued it. <laughs> yeah, Christ, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a weird. That's a uh, that's a weird one. Um, next question comes from David, who writes, "Hi all." The Crate and Crowbar holds a game jam. What is the theme and what special rules are there? Thanks for the pods, David. Mm. Yeah, my comments about impatience earlier. <laughs> about, uh, what's the shortest game you can make this any good at all? <laughs> I think that's an interesting yeah. challenge. Mm. Yeah, I would... Um, I'd like um, the theme be... Um, feeling good about an unlikable protagonist <laughs> <laughs> or making an unlike likable protagonist redeeming redeeming an unlikable protagonist yeah i always the ludum dare uh has a, a theme voting phase and so it's it's a popular vote as to what theme they pick each time this is a game jam um and i a very popular category of theme that I really dislike is one where just like you can tell the person who came up with this has a game in mind. <laughs> They've got their game. They are going to describe it in an abstract term. And it's popular because 200 other people all think, oh, I've got an idea for this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the exact same fucking idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and it happens like, you know, um, there was one called, um, I think the theme was Escape. And they're like, my idea for it and like at least 10 other people's were all called escape velocity <laughs> we've all had this idea oh it's about like the, how much speed you need to escape the planet and we all had the same fucking thing and yeah so a good game jam theme is one where like it it sparks ideas but not necessarily the same idea in yeah. every fucking person well that that's why i think fuck this jam is just like yeah. the best because it's because it's the one where you make a game based in a genre or a kind of like in a general design that you don't like to play and i think that forces some really interesting thinking it's, mm. it's really good. yeah how about adjacency bonuses <laughs> oh. i would uh yeah i definitely also that. because i just realized that the um the allegiance unlock for three white dudes in a room is podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's the bonus <laughs> questionable whether it's a bonus <laughs> And then uh, five is Podcast Network. Um, <laughs> uh, shit. Um, next question comes from Ian, who writes, Dear CNC, I recently completed the excellent Prey after picking it up 
cheaply uh, in a Steam sale. And in English, I'm going to paraphrase slightly, partly for Prey spoiler-ish and partly just for time, uh, talking about how there's a situation in Prey where you can choose to lie to a character about a rather bad thing that you discovered you had a, a hand in. Um, Ian goes on to say, um, you know, in, in most games, lying always has a comeuppance and you're strongly incentivized to tell the truth, even though initially it might seem disadvantageous to do so. Um, that's obviously in line with what we're raised to believe, that liars don't prosper. But world politics in recent years has firmly knocked that idea on the head. My question is, are there any games where you can brazenly lie without suffering any consequences, indeed where it's completely advantageous to do so? If you have no moral issue with lying, are there games that will see you benefit from this? Thanks for all the pods. Ian. Yeah, I was thinking that like whenever you have a charm skill or a sort of personality-driven skill, the conversation option it unlocks is usually a lie. Like it's usually mm. you're, you're sort mm. of persuading somebody of something and that's because it's unlocked by a skill, it has to be automatically good and therefore you don't suffer any consequences for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's also the sort of, I mean, really always constantly lying to characters. Because <laughs> yeah. what we say is, you know, like, you know, it's important to me that you resolve your personal issues. What I mean is I don't want you to die in a forced kind of suicide mission scenario in the denouement of this game <laughs> like and you know you you always have ulterior motives and you're always kind of layering your abilities to try and get the most out of a situation i mean your life is strange example earlier is the perfect example of this like mm. um almost not wanting to have to have been the person that snoops on someone else's life even yeah. if you then re- rewind it in order to you know convince them that you are you know them really well at a crucial moment later on when you're actually lying, because it's not that you really care, it's that you're yeah. time traveling. So I read the crumpled up note <laughs> in your in your bin. Yeah, I think like, lying is a really difficult thing in games, though, because it's it's a situation where there's a sort of a double edge to it, where you want a result out of the conversation, but now you're at risk, like in a kind of often indefinable way, as the email points out, like yeah. from repercussions and it, repercussions that you don't get from telling the truth because you, if, you know, presu- presuming the game is well written and you'll, you know what the stakes are in any mm. sort of situation, you know what, what the stakes are from when you tell the truth in the lying. Will you be found out? Will you not? Like there's often games, well, like it would feel very wooden for a game to be very obvious about whether your lie works, because then lies don't have the power that they do yeah. in our world. And no. on the other hand, like it's, it's shit to lie because you don't know whether you'll be successful or not. You don't know the results of that. So it's, it's a bit of a weird thing. Now that you mention it, um, I can't think of a game that like the thing that would be cool as a, a consequence of lying is not that there's a chance they'll disbelieve you because usually in a situation where you're making that decision it's because they don't know the answer so you get to right. decide whether you want to tell them the truth or not yeah, you don't know what and then the know, cost yeah. of telling them telling them a lie should be that like 30 minutes down the line someone else is going to ask you something and if the thing you tell them doesn't add up with what you told the other person it's going to fall apart because right. that's the difficult thing about lying in real life is you've got to keep your story straight is yeah. the, like the truth makes things easier because you don't have to remember what your story is. You just tell everyone the truth and then they'll never, no one will ever have a disagreement. But if you, if the cost of lying was like, you better fucking remember what you told person A, because when person B asks you about this, if your story doesn't add up to them, they're going to talk to them and it's mm. going to all so fall So that's going to be interesting. Or you could sort of like, you tell the lie and then, oh shit, now we've got to make sure this happens in the world. <laughs> because otherwise it won't actually uh, be supported anymore. And Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the worst example is like, I think it's like the Bethesda game system or the Fallout system where it's like, yeah. 
or I mean, a lot of RPGs do this, where it's like lie forty eight percent, and like this feels so artificial because it's, sort it's of like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, and then they don't like you a bit less, or they like you a bit less, and you kind of. Oh, well, that's indefinable. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose sometimes like an area of uh, conversation are now locked off. Now they won't give you the thing or whatever. And, but then still, I mean, I do find conversation systems often a little bit mm. frustrating because suddenly a whole thing is gated off to you because, oh, I don't fucking care. Just give it do to you. Do you remember the Oblivion one? Where, I just want to mention the Oblivion the, one. The four quarters of, the- of like charm, <laughs> threaten and insult or whatever. And like, Everyone has their own feelings about how they feel about those things, but you have to do all four. <laughs> like, at some point, I have to insult you. At some point, I have to charm you. <laughs> I love that system because it's it's literally the worst. It's like it's it's the most over-engineered solution <laughs> that completely fails to simulate. Because normally, like over, like particularly even in that series, sort of over-engineered solutions to representing something that actually happens to allow you to live in a fantasy world. Um. Are over over engineered in the spirit of getting somewhere close to the fantasy of you know a, a dungeon master free D and D experience where mm. the NPCs are all reactive and they're sort of they're around you, and it's so it's so miles off like at every stage like in order to make it usable, the person you're talking to has to change their facial expression about what you might say without you having yep. said it. <laughs> So you have to look at and every <laughs> at every stage, all four things you could say have like a the the bar kind of fills to show how strong they'll be, and then the way the game works is that you mouse over them to like see if I did see this, would you like it or not? And if you don't like it, and it's a strong thing, I shouldn't say it. But then if you don't like it, but it's a small thing, I'm going to say it anyway. Because like, <laughs> at some point, I've got to say an insult. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I don't say it now, I've got to say it next turn yeah. and could have more of an effect. <laughs> Just how real persuasion works. Yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> fuck your hair, to be honest. But I do really like I how you handled hair, so that thing. Oh, but I'm big on compliments. <laughs> Love uh, you. And also, did you hear the one about chicken crossing the road? <laughs> oh, it's big on jokes at the moment. Can you imagine... Yeah. You that mean, second, I actually really wanted a joke. The second yeah. before, I didn't. So, but you Thank also God. have to preface each of these with like, I assume that in these moments in Oblivion, your character is doing a facial expression as well <laughs> that indicates what they might be about to say. <laughs> so, like, so like, it's almost joke. T- you're you're <laughs> testing the idea of joke time, so you're just waggling my eyebrows. But then they frown and I'm like, oh no, no, take that's off not the, the right specs. thing. <laughs> and then I do the facial expression for compliment. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like. <laughs> that was good yeah that was and, good. Uh, thanks podcast format um but um like and then see what actually would actually maybe maybe i was too harsh on oblivion just then <laughs> is this not better than real talking <laughs> if, I, if, I, if i got to just um tease the approach i was thinking about taking and then you gave me your honest response to it <laughs> Like how you, but felt, you can't hold it against you. Yeah, we can't hold it against you. I didn't do it, <laughs> and also you also indicated some way like how big a reaction you were going to have to what the next <laughs> thing I did. Then that would, yeah, I mean, well, it would. It well, would, it'd be world peace. It, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great system! Um, <laughs> I really love it. I really love it because it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work at all. Um, but it's not really, I suppose that's not really lying because it's just, it's, it's manipulation, but of something far, so far beyond human experience, it doesn't really comprehend. There's, there's any, you can't really take it down to any kind of grain of truth. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other examples of lying that you could do. 
There's the bit at the start of like most Halo games where someone tests whether or not you would like the <laughs> controls inverted. <laughs> and you uh, can say, yes. yes. And then you go back into the control, the, the, the pause menu. Back into the menu and change it back and they'll never know. They're like, ooh, he's a backwards seeing man. <laughs> Lying to your yeah. computer. His head controls like a fighter plane. <laughs> you can, okay, so in... Cadence of Hyrule, which is the Necrodancer mm. game that um, ties into Zelda, uh, you have to c- sort of calibrate it at the start. So it, sh- it plays a rhythm for you and you press the, the button in time to the beat and then it tells you what, what kind of lag you have going on yeah, and it right. will compensate for it. So you could lie in that. <laughs> Just <laughs> wait like a full half second and like, oh, a beat? Oh, okay, and now I'll press. Like, oh, wow, you have like a 1.2 second lag. That's crazy. Okay, we'll compensate. <laughs> Checkmate, Nintendo. (laughs) You don't know what refresh rate my television is at all. (laughs) Next question comes from Humbug. Well, it's more of a statement. Uh, Dear Lootbox and Spacebar, on a recent episode, Tom F. pointed out that the term smellovision doesn't make sense. The correct term is obviously (laughs) telly-smelly. Or smelly-telly, I suppose. Um which uh which is te- uh which technically correct but silly terms for video game mechanics or items do you th- do you wish would catch on cheers humbug i don't have an answer but no. i like his answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is one of those sort of almost impossible until you see it <laughs> moments but yeah. nonetheless uh telly smelly is completely correct be smelling from far away agreed excellent next question comes from tess who writes I laugh a little every time I see Beat Saber and Slay the Spire. What are your favourite euphemisms in games? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Isn't it it's terrible that I didn't even... I, I, I'm sure at various points, like early points of learning about those games, I probably did laugh. Like, <laughs> but then now they're just I, the honestly, games. Honestly, I don't think the Beat Saber one ever occurred to me. <laughs> which is it crazy. To me. It, it occurred to me. Um... I think because also because Beat Saber is a VR game, it also has some of the sort of slight shame of not wanting something, not wanting someone to see you doing it through a window. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and you, yeah, a lot of the gestures involved are pretty, <laughs> pretty close. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like conducting a laser orchestra. <laughs> and I don't want to get too into weeds on this, but. <laughs> I mean, conducting a la- conducting the laser orchestra might be might be another evil. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, and also, I mean, say the spy was exhausted as a euphemism in just one half hour of Tom Senior describing playing that game. Oh God, I forgot it. Yeah, yeah. that was a tour de force. <laughs> uh, as a follow up question, Tess writes: There have been a few games about wanking and sex, but most of them are rhythm action style games. Could you make a game in other genres? What genre would be the hardest? Which I assume isn't a deliberate. <laughs> Love the pod, Tess. What would be the hardest game to make about wanking or sex, Alex? I guess an RTS. Yeah, I was going to say. I was gonna say <laughs> oh my god, I was like, <laughs> I yeah, think, I, that's very good. <laughs> I think an RTS would be closer than a grand strategy game. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least there's real time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you could do a turn like uh, uh, turn based tactics kind of thing, maybe like something sort of, very sort of ponderous. Into the breach. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, the point of wanking is that it never goes into the breach. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> is that the point? Huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, a sort of yeah racing game no, probably. i was thinking like a flight sim but it's just there are too many kind of very sort of points well there's um there's um coming anything i think anything with, well, not to not to take the question too seriously but anything with um sort of like a rhythm element or a continuous movement element you can probably yeah. steer in a sexy direction if you try hard enough like <laughs> um i think the, i think art yeah, was like like doing micro control of a <laughs> A large group. What it's just, was it's the, inherently a lot of different units, and I yeah. don't know how that relates. <laughs> so I think if if wanking, as I have understood it from other people's accounts, uh, is a, is is an object of kind of single mindedness. It's an onanistic, yeah, yeah, like the RTS kind of like thinking about many places at once and coordinating. <laughs> I think that would be a difficult. Yeah, genre. there's a there's a mm, like it's it's supreme commander is not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom out very far. Uh, no, there's no nothing there really. There's just nothing there. Um, Master of your domain, I think, would be the name. <laughs> but still, I don't know what you necessarily do in in um, in the game that would be reflective of that experience. You would draw out a large phallus in in units. <laughs> well, that's just how RTSs already work. <laughs> I mean, well, so in the in the 1990s. Um, Commander Conquer made an extremely brave attempt to, to marry the two, at least for, you know, a, a generation of, you know, their teenage target audience with FMV cutscenes where beautiful people say, mm, good job, Commander, <laughs> in between your attempts to farm Tiberium and defeat. <laughs> And Nod. of course, Tim Curry. <laughs> and defeat Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> so I am not saying that there's anything there really so much as like they, they did attempt to sort of find some way in to the, <laughs> to the bedrooms of their teen crowd, you know? Um, I feel like back then, what game wasn't trying to do that? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> the right. adverts for games of those days in the magazines were fucking Yeah, obscene. and that's oh, the thing. Oh, is can like, I have a wine? Oh, that's why I've interrupted, but... Uh, did you, you go did, wine, I've yeah. only got whiskey. Did you, <laughs> did you get, did you get a, uh, a, uh, a press release today about the new Leisure Suit Larry game? No. Thank God. Oh, Lordy. Got my, um, it still exists. To I got my first, um, I got my first press release, um, and I still get press releases even though Bet everything on a spam list You'll now never and stop. beg people to not send me them. But I got my first press release that was just for a, like a, a an 18 rated game on Steam. And like, I think the, like the, the rise of like adult games and games of sexual content on Steam is just sort of happened. Mm. But this is the first time that I've had a press release just brazen. The same as, well, no, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it means really, but like it's never happened before. Like the same as any other release, right? I get a lot of press releases that are just like out now on Steam early access, this thing I'd never heard of. Mm. And this was the first time it had been, you know, it had a little adult 18 plus warning in the title, but it was like, you know, out now this thing, and like, I think a dating sim or something, but it was just like, oh, huh. Like, I noticed, uh, I don't know if it was an 18 plus game, but, um, that the Steam Daily Deal the other day was of a gay dating simulator. Mm. I don't think I've seen that before, because they've, that is curated by Valve. That's the thing yeah. that they manually pick. It's not algorithmic. It's one of the few things that isn't. And they've, had which a one was it? Was it, um, it wasn't one I'd heard of, and I'd heard right. of a few. Yeah. It wasn't, it was one um, of, uh, wasn't, wasn't Dream Daddy. It wasn't Dream Daddy, right. So. <laughs> Were you in the middle of something, Alex? I thought. 
Oh, you're gonna have a wine. Suit, I was, yeah, leisure suit. I, I, um, I was surprised that it still exists. That, that there's any, yeah, yeah. Any th- anything left? <laughs> that is it not spent? Limp <laughs> premise. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but I, I did watch the trailer just to sort of, wh- where, where could they take it now? Morbid curiosity. And they've made the character kind of youngish looking. I always saw him as this kind of late middle aged, yeah, crazy motherfucker. And now they've kind of made him much younger. Same clothes and stuff, which are so bizarrely anachronistic because it's meant to be set in the modern world. I just don't see the point. That was the wine, really. Um, but, uh, walking simulator. Oh, surely it's one letter away. <laughs> <laughs> Just hope it has some speed boosts, like Shape of the World. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm, I'm going really quickly towards <laughs> the church. I've activated the four rocks. <laughs> Show me the staircase. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's all the questions we've got time for now. <laughs> if you want to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions in creightoncrowbar.com. You can also find us on Twitter at creightoncrowbar. Our website, creightoncrowbar.com, is also where you're going to find a link to our Discord, which is nice. And uh, also show notes to this episode, which are fine. Um, <laughs> we'll put this episode on YouTube if you'd like to watch it there. Uh, you've already listened to it, but you might find others. That's youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar. Patreon. Thanks. Patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. <laughs> is, that a, is that a thanks to Patreon or the, the, the Patreon uh, just, uh, pat- you patrons? Know, thanks everybody, you know. Oh. Um, thanks. Very close to our sign off, but not quite the sign off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for backing us a bit. No, it just, it means a lot that people choose to support this. Um, this. <laughs> Sometimes I, uh, or they, they didn't realize that actually they were funding simply a, a, the collective noun for three men. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. And yeah, and, and also I think, uh, I find this a lot with the podcast, but often when we get to this point, I just feel like I'm sort of, um, sort of, uh, presiding over the wreckage of whatever it is we were attempting to do. Saying, oh, like, there that was. Thanks for enabling this. Um, like, um, so, but thank you for enabling this. Um, if you'd like to follow us as individuals on Twitter, that's the next part of the outro. You can find me on Twitter. That's at C Thurston, C T H U I R S T E N. Or most spelt my own name wrong. That's my domain. And I'm yeah. not going there. I'm just at rotational. <laughs> oh, come on. Just I am at Alucard, A L S. No, I'm at Pentadact, P E N T A D A C T. Fine. Thanks for listening, everybody.